Section 13 of Man and Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Man and Wife by Wilkie Collins. Chapter the Tenth. Mr. Bishopriggs. The knock at the door was repeated, a louder knock than before. Are you deaf? shouted Arnold. The door opened, little by little, an inch at a time. Mr. Bishopriggs appeared mysteriously, with the cloth for dinner over his arm, and with his second-in-command behind him, bearing the furnishing of the table, as it was called at Craig Fernie, on a tray. "'What the deuce were you waiting for?' asked Arnold. "'I told you to come in.' "'And I told you,' answered Mr. Bishopriggs, "'that I wouldn't come in without knocking first. Eh, man, he went on, dismissing his second-in-command, and laying the cloth with his own venerable hands, do you think I've lived in this hotel in blinded ignorance of who young married couples pass the time when they're left to themselves? Twa knocks at the door, and an unco trouble in opening it after that, is just the least you can do for them. Whar do you think now I'll set the places for you and your lady there? and walked away to the window in undisguised disgust. Arnold found Mr. Bishopriggs to be quite irresistible. He answered, humouring the joke, "'One at the top and one at the bottom of the table, I suppose.' "'One at top and one at bottom?' repeated Mr. Bishopriggs in high disdain. "'Dare a bit of it! Baith your chairs as close together as chairs can be! He! He! Haven't I caught him after!' Goodness knows how many preliminary knocks at the door, dining on their husband's knees, and stimulating a man's appetite by feeding him at the fork's end like a child. Hey, sighed the sage of Craig Fernie, it's a short life with that nuptial business and a merry one. A month for your billin' and cooin', and all the rest of your days for wondering you were ever such a fool. And wishing it was ah to be done o'er again. Ye'll be for a bottle of sherry wine, nae doot, and a drop toddy afterwards to do your digestin' on. Arnold nodded, and then, in obedience to a signal from Anne, joined her at the window. Mr. Bishopriggs looked after them attentively, observed that they were talking in whispers, and approved of that proceeding as representing another of the established customs of young married couples at inns in the presence of third persons appointed to wait on them. "'Aye, aye,' he said, looking over his shoulder at Arnold, "'gay to your theory, gay to your theory, and leave all the solid business of life to me. Ye've scripture warrant for it. A man mean leave feather and mother, I'm your feather, and cleave to his wife. My certy cleave is a strong word. There's nae sort of doot about it when it comes to cleaving.' He wagged his head thoughtfully, and walked to the side-table in a corner to cut the bread. As he took up the knife, his one wary eye detected a morsel of crumpled paper lying lost between the table and the wall. It was the letter from Geoffrey, which Anne had flung from her in the first indignation of reading it, and which neither she nor Arnold had thought of since. "'What's that I see yonder?' muttered Mr. Bishopriggs under his breath. Mail litter in the room after I've doosted and tidied it with my ain hands. He picked up the crumpled paper and partly opened it. 
Eh, what's here? Writing on it in ink? And writing on it in pencil? Who may this belong to? He looked round cautiously toward Arnold and Anne. They were both still talking in whispers, and both standing with their backs to him, looking out of the window. Here it is, clean forgotten and done with, thought Mr. Bishopriggs. Now what would a fool do if he fund this? A fool would light his pipe-wit, and then wonder whether he hadna had done better to read it first. And what would a wise man do in a similar position? He practically answered that question by putting the letter into his pocket. It might be worth keeping, or it might not. Five minutes' private examination of it would decide the alternative at the first convenient opportunity. "'I'm going to bring the dinner in,' he called out to Arnold. "'And mind ye, there's nae knocking at the door possible when I've got the tray in baith my hands, and mere's the pity the gout in baith my feet.' With that friendly warning, Mr. Bishopriggs went his way to the regions of the kitchen. Arnold continued his conversation with Anne in terms which showed that the question of his leaving the inn had been the question once more discussed between them while they were standing at the window. "'You see, we can't help it,' he said. "'The waiter has gone to bring the dinner in. What will they think in the house if I go away already and leave my wife to dine alone?' It was so plainly necessary to keep up appearances for the present that there was nothing more to be said. Arnold was committing a serious imprudence, and yet, on this occasion, Arnold was right. Anne's annoyance at feeling that conclusion forced on her produced the first betrayal of impatience which she had shown yet. She left Arnold at the window and flung herself on the sofa. A curse seems to follow me, she thought bitterly. This will end ill, and I shall be answerable for it. In the meantime, Mr. Bishopriggs had found the dinner in the kitchen ready and waiting for him. Instead of at once taking the tray on which it was placed into the sitting-room, he conveyed it privately into his own pantry and shut the door. "'Lie ye there, my friend, till the spare moment comes, and I'll look at ye again,' he said, putting the letter away carefully in the dresser-drawer. "'No, about the dinner o' oh, they twee turtle-doves in the parlour,' he continued, directing his attention to the dinner-tray. I moon juiced see that the cook's doon her duty. The creatures are not capable of deciding that knotty point for their ain selves. He took off one of the covers, and picked bits here and there out of the dish with the fork. Eh, eh, the collops are not that bad. He took off another cover, and shook his head in solemn doubt. Here's the green meat. I doot green meat's windy diet for a man at may tame a life. He put the cover on again, and tried the next dish. A fish! What the deal does the woman fry the trout for? Boil it next time, ye bitch, with a pinch of salt and a spoonful of vinegar. He drew the cork from a bottle of sherry and decanted the wine. The sherry wine, he said, in tones of deep feeling, holding the decanter up to the light. How do I know but what it may be cocked? I moon taste and try. It's on my conscience as an honest man to taste and try. He forthwith relieved his conscience copiously. There was a vacant space of no inconsiderable dimensions left in the decanter. Mr. Bishopriggs gravely filled it up from the water bottle. It's just adding ten years to the age of the wine. The turtle doves will be nane the wear, and I myself am a glass of sherry the better 
praise providence for a its mercies having relieved himself of that devout aspiration he took up the tray again and decided on letting the turtle doves have their dinner the conversation in the parlour dropped for the moment had been renewed in the absence of mr bishopriggs too restless to remain long in one place anne had risen again from the sofa and had rejoined arnold at the window where do your friends at lady lundy's believe you to be now she asked abruptly i am believed replied arnold to be meeting my tenants and taking possession of my estate how are you to get to your estate to-night by railway i suppose by the by what excuse am i to make for going away after dinner we are sure to have the landlady in here before long what will she say to my going off by myself to the train and leaving my wife behind me mr brinkworth that joke if it is a joke is worn out i beg your pardon said arnold you may leave your excuse to me pursued anne do you go by the up train or the down by the up train the door opened suddenly and mr bishopriggs appeared with the dinner anne nervously separated herself from arnold the one available eye of mr bishopriggs followed her reproachfully as he put the dishes on the table i warn ye baith it was a clean impossibility to knock at the door this time don't blame me young madam don't blame me where will you sit asked arnold by way of diverting anne's attention from the familiarities of father bishopriggs anywhere she answered impatiently snatching up a chair and placing it at the bottom of the table mr bishopriggs politely but firmly put the chair back again in its place lord's sake what are you doing it's clean contrary to all the laws and customs of the honeymoon to sit as far away from your husband as that he waved his persuasive napkin to one of the two chairs placed close together at the table arnold interfered once more and prevented another outbreak of impatience from anne what does it matter he said let the man have his way get it over as soon as you can she returned i can't and won't bear it much longer they took their places at the table with father bishopriggs behind them in the mixed character of major-domo and guardian angel here's the trout he cried taking the cover off with a flourish half an hour since he was loopin in the water here he lies new fried in the dish an emblem of human life for ye when ye can spare any leisure time from your twa selves meditate on that arnold took up the spoon to give anne one of the trout mr bishopriggs clapped the cover on the dish again with a countenance expressive of devout horror is there anybody going to say grace he asked come come said arnold the fish is getting cold mr bishopriggs piously closed his available eye and held the cover firmly on the dish for what ye're going to receive may ye baith be truly thankful he opened his available eye and whipped the cover off again my conscience is easy new fall to fall to send him away said anne his familiarity is beyond all endurance you needn't wait said arnold hey but i'm here to wait objected mr bishopriggs what's the use of my goon away when you'll want me anon to change the plates for ye he considered for a moment privately consulting his experience and arrived at a satisfactory conclusion as to arnold's motive for wanting to get rid of him take her on your knee he whispered to arnold's ear as soon as you like feed him at the fork's end he added to anne whenever you please i'll think of something else and look out at the prospect he winked and went to the window 
Come, come, said Arnold to Anne, there's a comic side to all this. Try and see it as I do. Mr. Bishopriggs returned from the window, and announced the appearance of a new element of embarrassment in the situation at the inn. My certy, he said, it's weel ye came when ye did. It's ill getting to this hottle in a storm. Anne started and looked round him. A storm's coming, she exclaimed. Eh, ye well who's here, ye needn't mind it. There's the cloud down the valley, he added, pointing out of the window, coming up one way when the winds blow in the other. The storm's brewing, my leddy, when ye see that. There was another knock at the door. As Arnold had predicted, the landlady made her appearance on the scene. I had just looked in, sir, said Mrs. Inchbare, addressing herself exclusively to Arnold, to see you've got what ye want. Oh, you are the landlady? Very nice, ma'am, very nice. Mistress Inchbare had her own private motive for entering the room, and came to it without further preface. "'Ye'll excuse me, sir,' he proceeded. "'I wasna in the way when ye came here, "'or I should have made bold to ask ye the question "'which I moon in ask new. "'Hem I to understand that ye hire these rooms for yourself "'and this lady here, your wife?' Anne raised her head to speak. Arnold pressed her hand warningly under the table and silenced her. "'Certainly,' he said. "'I take the rooms for myself and this lady here, my wife.' Anne made a second attempt to speak. This gentleman, she began, Arnold stopped her for the second time. This gentleman, repeated Mrs. Inchbare, with a broad stare of surprise. I am only a poor woman, my lady. Do you mean your husband here? Arnold's warning hand touched Anne's for the third time. Mistress Inchbare's eyes remained fixed on her in merciless inquiry. To have given utterance to the contradiction which trembled on her lips would have been to involve Arnold, after all that he had sacrificed for her, in the scandal which would inevitably follow, a scandal which would be talked of in the neighbourhood, and which might find its way to Blanche's ears. White and cold, her eyes never moving from the table, she accepted the landlady's implied correction, and faintly repeated the words, "'My husband.' Mistress Inchbare drew a breath of virtuous relief, and waited for what Anne had to say next. Arnold came considerately to the rescue, and got her out of the room. "'Never mind,' he said to Anne. "'I know what it is, and I'll see about it. She's always like this, ma'am, when a storm's coming,' he went on, turning to the landlady. "'No, thank you. I know how to manage her. We'll send for you if we want your assistance.' "'At your own pleasure, sir,' answered Mistress Inchbare. She turned and apologized to Anne under protest with a stiff courtesy. No offence, my lady. Ye'll remember that ye come here alone, and that the hottle has its ain good name to keep up. Having once more vindicated the hottle, she made the long desired move to the door and left the room. I'm faint, Anne whispered. Give me some water. There was no water on the table. Arnold ordered it of Mr. Bishopriggs who had remained passive in the background, a model of discreet attention, as long as the mistress was in the room. "'Mr. Brinkworth,' said Anne, when they were alone, "'you are acting with inexcusable rashness. That woman's question was an impertinence. Why did you answer it? Why did you force me—' She stopped, unable to finish the sentence. Arnold insisted on her drinking a glass of wine, and then defended himself with the patient consideration for her which he had shown from the first. "'Why didn't I have the inn door shut in your face?' he asked good-humouredly. 
with the storm coming on without a place in which you can take refuge no no miss sylvester i don't presume to blame you for any scruples you may feel but scruples are sadly out of place with such a woman as that landlady i am responsible for your safety to geoffrey and geoffrey expects to find you here let's change the subject the water is a long time coming try another glass of wine no well here is blanche's health he took some of the wine himself in the weakest sherry i ever drank in my life as he set down his glass mr bishopriggs came in with the water arnold hailed him satirically well have you got the water or have you used it all for the sherry mr bishopriggs stopped in the middle of the room thunderstruck at the aspersion cast on the wine is that the way ye talk of the oldest bottle of sherry wine in scotland he asked gravely what's the world coming to the new generation's a foot beyond my fathoming the mercies of providence has shown to man in the choicest vintages of spain a clean thrown away on him have you brought the water i have brought the water and mere than the water i have brought ye news from outside there's a company of gentlemen on horseback just cantering by to what they call the shooting cottage a mile from this well and what have we got to do with it bide a wee there's ane of them has drawn bridle at the hottle and he's spearing after the lady that came here alane the lady's your lady as sure as saxpence i doot said mr bishopriggs walking away to the window that's what you've got to do with it arnold looked at anne do you expect anybody is it geoffrey impossible geoffrey is on his way to london there he is anyway resumed mr bishopriggs at the window he's looping down from his horse he's turning this way lord save us he exclaimed with a start of consternation what do i see that incarnate devil sir patrick himself arnold sprang to his feet do you mean sir patrick lundy anne ran to the window it is sir patrick she said hide yourself before he comes in hide myself what will he think if he sees you with me he was blanche's guardian and he believed arnold to be at that moment visiting his new property what he would think was not difficult to foresee arnold turned for help to mr bishopriggs where can i go mr bishopriggs pointed to the bedroom door where can you go there's the nuptial chamber impossible Mr. Bishopriggs expressed the utmost extremity of human amazement by a long whistle on one note. Is that the way you talk of the nuptial chamber already? Find me some other place. I'll make it worth your while. Eh, there's my pantry. I throw that some other place, and the door's at the end of the passage. Arnold hurried out. Mr. Bishopriggs, evidently under the impression that the case before him was a case of elopement, with sir patrick mixed up in it in the capacity of guardian addressed himself in friendly confidence to anne my certie mistress it's ill work deceiving sir patrick if that's what you're doon ye must know i was once a bit clark body in his chambers at embrew the voice of mistress inchbare calling for the head-waiter rose shrill and imperative from the regions of the bar mr bishopriggs disappeared anne remained standing helpless by the window it was plain by this time that the place of her retreat had been discovered at windygates the one doubt to decide now was whether it would be wise or not to receive sir patrick for the purpose of discovering whether he came as friend or enemy to the inn
End of section 13. Recording by John Trevithick.